At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. It's been 3,221 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 302 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some quick housekeeping. We'd like to remind our listeners that our team will be taking a well-deserved break for a few days in December and January, so we will not be publishing new episodes on December 25th or 26th, nor on December 31st or January 1st, and we will be focusing on special reports in the first week of January. Our full situation reports and regular update podcasts will start for 2023 on January 11th. Of course, if there are any major developments during that time, we'll jump in with coverage and analysis. With that out of the way, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, while weather-dependent, we maintain that there is a possibility of Russia, Ukraine, or both launching significant offensive operations on New Year's Day or January 7, 2023, which is Orthodox Christmas. Second, Our assessment that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk was inaccurate, with President Putin adding more responsibility and budget to his Minister of Defense yesterday. Third, we assess that we may have underestimated the amount of pressure on the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Sorovyakin, to create progress on the battlefield with President Putin reinforcing his confidence in Minister of Defense Shoigu. Fourth, we assess that the Kremlin's announcements yesterday support our belief that there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in January or February 2023. Fifth, despite increasing rhetoric, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is a remote possibility during the winter months. Sixth, We maintain that terror attacks will continue on civilians and civilian infrastructure and assess an elevated risk of attacks through January 7, 2023. Seventh, 
We maintain that Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Eighth, we maintain that a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Ninth, we assess that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin with continued criticism from the mill blogger community and recent actions to create a narrative that he is a strong leader while shifting blame to the Ministry of Defense for the floundering special military operation. Tenth, we maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. Eleventh, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Twelfth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. On the Svatova axis, mercenaries with Wargonzo acknowledged fighting in Pidkuyachansk, five kilometers southeast of Novoselivske, as reported by the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, yesterday. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces successfully defended Novoselivske, and Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting around Stelmachivka. On the Kremina axis, Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Ploshanka and Chervonopopivka, engaging in positional fighting with Russian troops. Russian sources reported that there was fighting near Dibrova, and Ukrainian forces in the village were fired upon with artillery. Wargonzo claimed that Ukrainian forces advanced on Kremina from Dibrova, but did not provide additional information. On the Lysychansk axis, Russian sources reported fighting, quote, near Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, and specified it was led by Russian troops and not private military company, or PMC, Wagner Group, as we assessed on December 20th. Russian and Ukrainian sources have used the language near for three days, and based on the available intelligence, we moved the line of conflict east out of the village, but did not change the gray area. Serhii Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, claimed that Russian artillery units intentionally targeted the civilian areas in recently liberated Nevsky and Makivka. The security situation in Nevsky has deteriorated to the point that Ukrposhta cannot deliver mail and pension payments due to the danger. In northeast Donetsk on the Lysychansk axis, Russian sources claimed another attempt to attack the eastern part of Ukrainian-controlled Verkhnokamyanskia, Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces in Spirna were shelled by Russian artillery, reconfirming the settlement is under Ukrainian control. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Berestova, and Russian sources reported an attempt to advance on Vesele. PMC Wagner is no longer leading the fight north of Yakovlivka, with reports that regular Russian troops led the offensive near Vesele. On the Solidar axis, fighting continued in Yakovlivka, with Ukrainian forces holding the positions they regained on December 20th. Russian sources reported that Russian troops tried to advance from their positions without success. After a two-day lull in fighting, Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Solidar, 
while Russian forces attempted to advance from the southern part of Bakhmutska without success. A video showed a Russian ammunition depot on the eastern edge of Solidar was destroyed, with several explosions as artillery shells cooked off. On the Bakhmut axis, a lengthy drone video showed that the area from the Siniat Ceramics Factory to the M3, or E40, highway on Patrisa Lumumbi Street is an unoccupied no-man's land. The video showed PMC Wagner had fallen back to the T-504 and M3, or E-40, highway gas station on the eastern tip of Bakhmut. Fighting continued at a significantly lower tempo on the city's eastern edges. Orgonzo claimed that the balance of power was tipping, and Ukrainian forces began to seize the initiative. While our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and former Movik Igor Girkin Strelkov called the situation a, quote, senseless meat grinder on the outskirts of Bakhmut, end quote. Some assessment here. Between Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's claim on December 20th that Bakhmut was a liberated city, the drone video, and Russian reports, we moved the line of conflict back along Patrisa Lomombi Street, but not to the M3 or E-40 highway. We also did not adjust the gray area because there's no evidence that either Russia or Ukraine has military control of this region. In our final assessment, we believe the most recent offensive effort to capture Bakhmut has reached a culmination point. PMC Wagner will need to reconstitute units, replace equipment, and bring in fresh mercenaries to make a new effort. There were more reports of intense fighting on the edges of Opitne, with no change in the situation. South of Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces successfully defended their positions in Kurdyumivka and Ozadyanivka, with multiple reports showing intense fighting around Ozadyanivka. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces attempted to retake Ukrainian positions on the northern edge of Mayorsk and were unsuccessful. In southwest Donetsk, on the Khorlivka axis, Russian troops attacked New York and were unsuccessful. On the Avdiivka axis, elements of the 1st Army Corps attempted to advance on the Ukrainian positions in Krasnohorivka without success. On the southern side of Avdiivka, Ukrainian forces are making incremental gains. Orgonzo reported that Russian forces were, quote, trying to break through to the village of Vodyana, indicating that the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, could not hold the village after capturing it last week. We adjusted the map, leaving the southeast corner of Vodyana under Russian control and maintain the village is contested. Just a quick note, if you're getting the impression that Semyon Pegov of Orgonzo is being shockingly honest about the situation in Ukraine, we agree. Orgonzo also reported that Russian forces were attempting to move into Pervomaiske from Piski and reported, quote, fighting for a section of the M4 highway, end quote. The only section of the M4 highway worth fighting for is the E50 Ring Road stronghold on the edge of Piski and the remnants of the seed factory. We've coded both settlements as contested. Fighting for control of the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske continued, with no change in the situation. On the Marinka axis, both Ukrainian and Russian sources reported intense fighting in the center of Marinka. A video showed Ukrainian troops engaged in brutal street fighting east of Druzhby Avenue. Strelkov reported fighting in the center of town with the 1st Army Corps making, quote, some progress, while Wargonzo reported Ukrainian forces are in the, quote, western part of the city. 
On the Vuladar axis, did the 1st Army Corps of the DNR attack the eastern edge of Novomikhailivka again? Yes, yes, they did. Were they successful? No, no, they were not. Russian mill blogger Venkur Kotanok shared an assessment from Boris Rozhin on the situation west of Donetsk. Rozhin dismissed frontal assaults on Avdiivka and Novomikhailivka as unlikely to produce any results due to a lack of available troops and the strength of Ukrainian defenses. The People's Militia of the DNR Telegram Channel claimed, without any evidence, that their forces destroyed one tank, two S-21 Grad Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS, one M777 mm towed howitzer, and seven, quote, units of armored and automotive vehicles. Ukrainian forces carried out 293 fire missions on the occupied territories. An ammunition depot destroyed in Russian-occupied Makiivka on December 15th reportedly cooked off for 20 hours. There were social media reports that Makiivka was shelled again yesterday. In occupied Donetsk, the former director general of Roscosmos, Dmitry Ragozin, and the prime minister of the self-declared DNR, Vitaly Khotsenko, were wounded when the Sheshbesh restaurant was hit by artillery 10 minutes after Khotsenko arrived for a meeting. The strike killed Khotsenko's bodyguard, leaving the dining room moderately damaged and the structure partially destroyed. We do link to a video in our full situation report on Patreon, and although the video has been blurred, some people may find the opening seconds disturbing. Khotsenko suffered a shrapnel wound in his shoulder that requires surgery, while Ragozin suffered a flesh wound to the head and, quote, penetrating shrapnel wounds on his left thigh, back, and buttocks. He told Russian state media RT, formerly Russia Today, quote, Wounded in the back. I'll live. The fragment went through a centimeter from the spine. End quote. Ragozin told reporters he had been staying at the hotel for months and using it as a base of operations for a group of volunteer fighters. Russian state media is suggesting it was a targeted attack and that Khotsenko's movements were being monitored leading up to the strike. Quick sidebar. Perhaps a smart shell, capable of denazification, was used. After all, Ragozin was a member of the declared terrorist organization, the Russian Imperial Movement, and was filmed in 2007 praising white supremacy and leading an actual for-real Nazi salute. Other areas of western Donetsk near the line of conflict were shelled throughout the day. Social media complaints about locked doors to apartment alcoves and bomb shelters continued. A large explosion was reported in Russian-occupied Mariupol near St. Kurpin. The blast was heard through several districts, and Russian helicopters circled overhead moments later. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro, with Russian forces conducting 60 fire missions on free Ukraine, killing one and wounding six. Russian positions in Novomayachka, Olishki, Novokhovka, and Kohovka were shelled. The shelling in Olishki destroyed an electrical substation and a short video revealed that the settlement is a ghost town. 
There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and no update on the status of negotiations for demilitarization. In Zaporizhia, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, Ivan Fedorov, reported that Kadyrovites had arrived in the city as blocking troops and to hunt for rioters and deserters. The Chechen forces are operating the checkpoints on the so-called Road of Life from Melitopol to the crossing into Free Ukraine at Vasilivka. Otherwise, there were only sporadic artillery exchanges between Russian and Ukrainian forces from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orihiv. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, there weren't any vessels of the Black Sea fleet capable of launching caliber cruise missiles on patrol for the fifth day in a row. Russian forces shelled the waterfront of Ochakiv in Mykolaiv twice, striking 16 residential buildings and hospitalizing two people, including a 10-year-old boy. The settlement of Kutsarub was hit by an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack, which landed in an unpopulated area. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces continued punitive strikes on Dnipropetrovsk, striking Marchenets and Chervonohryorivka with over 50 grad rockets fired by MLRS. Residential neighborhoods and commercial areas were targeted, and an eight-year-old girl was hospitalized due to her injuries. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Kharkiv, there are reports of fighting near Petropavlivka without specifics on the composition of forces or the intensity, which is a really fancy way of saying that something is going on east of Kupiansk, but we don't have any additional information. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The United States Department of Defense announced a $1.85 billion military assistance package for Ukraine, the 28th drawdown from previously approved funds. The latest package includes one Patriot Air Defense battery, reportedly eight launchers with munitions, unspecified ammunition for M142, M270, Mars 2, and LUR GMLRS systems, more commonly known as HIMARS, 500 155mm GPS-guided Excalibur shells, 1020mm mortar systems with 10,000 rounds, 1082mm mortar systems, 1060mm mortar systems, 37 Cougar mine-resistant ambush protection vehicles, or MRAPs, 120 high-mobility multi-purpose wheeled vehicles, or HUMVs, 6 armored utility trucks, an unspecified quantity of AGM-88 HARM anti-radiation missiles, JDAM for precision aerial munitions, Ottawa-compliant Claymore anti-personnel mines, night vision equipment, SATCOM systems, body armor, field equipment, 2,700 grenade launchers and other small arms, 45,152mm Soviet-spec artillery rounds, 20,122mm Soviet-spec artillery rounds, 50,122mm Soviet-spec Grad rockets, 100,000 rounds of Soviet-spec 125mm tank ammunition, and funding for training, maintenance, and sustainment. The 152 and 122mm artillery rounds will enable Ukraine to bring more artillery pieces into action, as the supply has become very limited. SpaceX announced it was lowering the price of Starlink terminals in Ukraine, weeks after a $200 increase to $700 a unit. The price dropped to $600 on the same day the Pentagon and SpaceX agreed to provide Ukraine with more than 10,000 additional Starlink terminals. 
Speaking of dropping, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Mere moments after Ukrainian-born Valentina Matvienko, Speaker of the Federation Council of the Federal Assembly of the Russian Federation, declared there would be no additional mobilization at the start of 2023, Russian President Putin and Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu announced a restructuring and expansion of the Russian armed forces. Shoigu announced that the Russian Ministry of Defense would reverse the 2008 Serdyukov reforms, which aligned Russian forces into brigades with battalion tactical groups, or BTGs. While BTGs are effective in smaller engagements and limited warfare, they are absolutely ineffective in a wide-scale invasion and when fighting total war. The planned reorganization and expansion of the Russian armed forces include number 1. Reverting the Western Military District to the Moscow and Leningrad Military Districts as a response to Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Number 2. Shoigu called for the formation of a new Army Corps, the creation of 17 new divisions, including two Airborne Assault VDV divisions, three Motor Infantry divisions composed of conscripts from Kherson and Zaporizhia, expanding seven brigades in the Northern Fleet and West, Central, and Eastern Military Districts, expanding five naval infantry brigades, and the formation of five new artillery divisions. Number three, the creation of three more weapons repair depots and improving storage and maintenance of reserve equipment. Number four, proposal to increase troop strength from 1 million to 1.5 million, including 695,000 contract soldiers. Russia currently has an estimated 380,000 contract troops. Number five, Increased tactical aviation capability by adding three air divisions, eight bomber regiments, one fighter regiment, and six army aviation or helicopter brigades. Number six, raise the conscription age, which is currently 18 to 27, to 21 to 30. It is not clear why they are making this shift. And finally, number seven, a directive for the Russian MOD, quote, to be attentive to all criticism and, quote, Hear those who do not hush up about the existing problems. End quote. Putin told Shoigu that he would get everything he needed to execute these reforms, which appear to be taking the Russian Federation armed forces backward in time. Giving the Russian defense minister a blank check has not worked out over the last decade, and none of the announced reforms address the rampant corruption, the terror of the grandfathers, or changes in the top-down leadership style of the Russian military. These changes are aspirational and will take a dramatic increase in military spending for more than a decade to achieve. It's unlikely that Russia can staff a qualified army of 1.5 million troops since they were already struggling to reach the 1 million soldier staffing goal before 2022. None of these changes will dramatically impact the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war because of how long it will take to restructure the armed forces. Still, if completed, it would represent a true threat to the NATO alliance and a force that could work against Chinese interests in the Pacific. It's worth noting that the Soviet Union collapsed partially because it could not sustain its military spending against a ballooning United States military budget in the 1980s which reached almost $800 billion in 1989 using inflation-adjusted dollars. In geopolitical news, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky met with United States President Joe Biden and addressed a joint session of Congress. 
Zelensky thanked Biden, congressional leaders, and the American people for tens of billions in aid while asking for more. He declared, quote, Your money is not charity. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. End quote. In his speech, he linked Russia and Iran together as partners in terrorism, stating that if the world does not make a stand now, Russia or Iran will eventually attack another nation. He presented the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war as a battle of independence and paralleled the Revolutionary War battle of Saratoga as equivalent to the ongoing battle for Bakhmut as a potential turning point in Ukraine's struggle. Quick sidebar here. The colonists' victory at Saratoga convinced France to provide military support. He called 2023 a decisive year for the outcome of the war, saying, quote, Our two nations are allies in this fight, and the next year, 2023, is a decisive one here. This is the time where Ukrainian bravery and American decisiveness should guarantee the future of our freedom, freedom of the people who stand for their values, end quote. Zelensky made it clear that he was not asking for American troops, adding with a wry smile that Ukrainian soldiers are more than capable of operating American tanks and planes. President Biden told Zelensky and reporters that he supports Ukraine's 10-point peace plan and is committed to backing Ukraine. Zelensky's trip was made to reinforce his relationship with the United States and its ongoing support, while demonstrating that the situation within Ukraine has stabilized enough for him to travel outside the country. President Biden reinforced that so-called long-range missiles are off the table because providing them could break the NATO alliance, adding, quote, I probably said too much, end quote, while looking straight into the camera. While Biden is gaff-prone, Washington observers believe it was a calculated comment. Since 1934, leaders from 48 nations have given speeches to both chambers of Congress. Zelensky joined five other heads of state that have addressed a joint session more than once, with his first address done virtually in March 2022. In economic news, the ruble fell again due to demand destruction, with an exchange rate of 73 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices climbed, with WTI crude rising to $80 a barrel and Brent up to $83. Russian Urals crude held at $54 a barrel. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market rose again due to widespread extreme winter weather, which could disrupt oil production and refineries in Texas and Louisiana. The price climbed to $2.28 a gallon, or $0.61 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures were unchanged, holding at €98 Euros per megawatt-hour for January 2023 delivery and €100 Euros for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures climbed again, trading at $7.69 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.